Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, great to see you this afternoon. And uh, we are talking about thinking the thoughts of God. And I, I believe this is going to be the last session we do on this. And, and then I've got like four or five different other directions I want to be going when I get to share on Sunday night. So uh, I'm excited about all of them. So, in fact, somebody said to me, uh, what's your what's your, you know, your best sermon? I said, the next one. You know, so that's, you get excited about it. So Proverbs 23 and verse seven is a man thinks in his heart. So is he. So so what you think, your thoughts are extremely important. In fact, Jesus said it's what's come out of you. It's the thoughts that and the actions that come out of you that defile you, not what comes in you. And as your heart is, so are you. In fact, Jesus tells the parable about the sower who sows on different types of ground and the different types of ground represent different hearts. And Jesus goes on to say, either make the tree good or it's in the fruit good or make the tree bad and it's fruit bad. Now, Jesus is talking about our heart and he says, you can make your heart bad and you can make your heart good. And really, the way that we make our heart good, one of the key components to that is to think the right thoughts, right? to think God's thoughts. So in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, it says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now, again, every Christian, whether you realize it or not, you're in a battle. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, excuse me, yes, Ecclesiastes 8.8, 8, it says that there is no release from that war. So when you become a Christian, you're in a war. There's no release. You say, well, I'm not fighting. Then you're just going to be defeated. You cannot bargain with the enemy. He's a liar. He won't bargain with you. You're in a warfare. He says, but our weapons aren't carnal. So you cannot fight a spiritual battle with natural weapons. You can't use a gun. You can't use your fist. But our weapons are mighty in God through the pulling down of strongholds. They are spiritual weapons. Now it says casting down arguments every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So our warfare really is in our mind and it has to do with our thoughts. There's a lot of people that try to make spiritual warfare something very strange. It really has to do with taking dominion, first of all, over our own thoughts. Isaiah 55 verse 6 Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So think about it. We just think a person's far from God if they're doing wrong things. But God says, no, no, no. It's just not what you do. It's what you think. So you're going to forsake your thoughts and return to the Lord. And he'll have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon And of course, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. But now, verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, make it bring forth in bud. So shall my, excuse me, that it may give seed to the sower, bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. And it shall not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I please and it'll prosper in the thing to which I send it. 
So God is saying, just like rain and snow come down, and they, 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 how do we say this? They replenish the earth. They give the earth what it needs to bring forth fruit. He's saying God's word is the same way. In your life, in my life, in our hearts, God's word goes in and it causes us to produce the right fruit. It makes our heart right. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you think. If you change how you think, you will change the way you live. Change the way you think, you'll change the way that you live. Several years ago, at the close of a service, I I always kind of stick around in the front and somebody may want to come up and ask for prayer, have a question. And and after this particular service, there were several people that that came up and I, I talked with a few and prayed with a few. And I noticed a man who stood down the aisle, maybe three, four rows back, And he just stood there waiting. When everybody else was gone, he came up. By the time he came up, he he literally, he was beginning to cry. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, I am committing adultery. He said, "Uh, I I don't even enjoy it. He said, but I just can't stop. He said, and I want you to pray for me that I'll stop. And I said, I won't. I said, nope. And I said that because I wanted to shake him up. I said, no, I won't pray for you. He said, because you do not change your behavior by prayer. Prayer is important, but you won't change your behavior until you change how you think. That's how it's going to, you have to change the way you think. The King James says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind or by changing the way you think. You're not, you can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. But if you don't change how you think, you're going to keep doing what you've been doing. So I said to him, no, I said, uh, but this is what we'll do. I said, uh, if you will every day read Proverbs chapter five and Proverbs chapter seven. And he said, what are those? Those are the two Proverbs that talk about sexual sin, what it costs and how to get free. I said, and then I want you to read about Samson once every week and David committing adultery with Bathsheba every week. I said, now, if you'll do that, I will pray for you. I'll pray for you. But just prayer will not change how you live. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or as this translation says, by changing the way you think. If you will change how you think, you will change what you do. And that's why God says you need to think my thoughts. So when you read the Bible, you're not reading the thoughts of David, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul. Because the Bible is God-breathed. It's God's word. It's, you, you, we, we need to read the Bible and think, this is God talking to me. This is God's message to me. And it is powerful to change your life. It can transform you. It can make your heart good. It can make your heart good. So the way that it comes is it comes in words. In fact, uh, in Acts chapter 10, there's a man by the name of Cornelius. He's a centurion. Uh, He's a Roman. He's uh, living in a city called Caesarea and he's praying. And the Bible says that he feared God with all his house. And as he prays, an angel appears to him. 
and says, go and send men to Joppa and have Peter come and he's going to talk to you. In fact, Peter said that this way, who will tell you words by which you and all your house will be saved. So he's going to hear some words and those words are going to change the way he thinks. And when they change the way he thinks, he is going to be saved. He is going to get saved by hearing a certain set of words. See, there are words that bring salvation. There's words that bring peace. There's words that bring breakthrough. There's words that bring favor. Again, Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Now, first, you do not receive the part of the gospel that you're ignorant of. You don't receive the part of the gospel you're ashamed of. But when you believe it, it is the power of God. Now, what's the power of God? The gospel. And we talked this morning, what is the gospel? It, it is literally, uh, it's used 74 times in the New Testament, that word. It's only used twice outside of biblical literature that we know of. And it literally means almost too good to be true. Almost too good to be true. So the story of what Jesus did for you and me, the gospel, that story, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. So here's what that means. That the power that was there in the event is released when you believe the message. The power of the event is available to you, is released when you believe the message. The gospel is the power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, I remember listening to T.L. Osborne speak many years ago. And uh, he said, you know, some of you are waiting for me to stop speaking so that God can do something. He says, and I'm waiting for you to start believing so something will happen. Because when we believe, the power of the event is released. In that word salvation, by the way, uh, Dr. Schofield in his notes on Romans 1.16 says it's the great all-inclusive word of the gospel. It includes the ideas of deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. Salvation is the great all-inclusive word of the gospel, gathering into itself all the redemptive acts and processes. Paul writes to the church in uh, Acts chapter 20, and he says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, the Bible, which is able to build you up. What can build you up? The Bible. God's word can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You know, when you become a Christian, the Bible tells us that you receive an inheritance. You become part of the family and there is an inheritance that belongs to you. Now, you don't get that inheritance because of how good you are. In fact, Colossians 1.12 says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. So you, you don't qualify because of how good you are. God qualified you. And you qualify for your share of the inheritance. Now, the Bible says that we're joint heirs. Now, what that means is this. Like, like uh, let's say somebody has five kids and they die, if they're just heirs, they take all the, the, the 100% and divide it five ways and each person gets 20%. But if they're joint heirs, 
then every person has access to 100%. So the Bible says that you and I, we are joint heirs. And that means that we have access to everything that Jesus purchased for us. It's not a, a zero-sum situation where there's so much, and if somebody else gets some, you don't get any. If they get some, that just means there's some for you. Because the Bible tells us in Jude, the, in Jude, the third verse, it says, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. See, what, what one of us have received, all of us receive. Every person gets the same salvation package. So he's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light and delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So as a believer, we're in this world, but we don't belong to this world. Uh, my my son-in-law stopped over this afternoon and, and, and our, our daughter, and we, we were talking a little bit. And he says, you know, he said, uh, I, he, he's from Australia. He says, man, American politics are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> He says, uh, people are, you know, they're Republicans or they're Democrats and, and they're mad at each other. And, and he says, it's crazy. He said, it's even in the church. He said, my goodness. He said, but what we have in Christ should far outweigh any political position that anybody ever has. Amen. All right. We've been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and we're put into the kingdom of the son of his love. So because of that, Satan has no dominion over you, no legal right over you. You are literally an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Now, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 is where I'm trying to get to. As his divine power has given to us. Now, how many know has given is past tense? And we always think we're trying to get God to do something. But from God's perspective, he's already done it. And he's waiting for us to reach out and receive it. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So that means your natural life and your spiritual life. He has given all things that pertain to that through the knowledge of him. Oh, it's in Hosea where it says my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So we have to know what has been purchased for us. We have to know what our inheritance is. If you don't know it, you can have it and never partake of it because they are received through faith. And again, faith is dependent on knowledge through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. So our inheritance has been given to us in the form of exceeding great and precious promises. Uh, it, it may be a total exaggeration, but on, on more than one occasion, I have read that there are just over 7,000 promises in the Bible. I don't know how many there are for sure, but I know this. No matter what your problem is, there's one that covers your case. There's one that covers your case. 
So there's these exceeding great and precious promises that have been given to us. That through these, we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. So we, can, we, we do not want to be those that are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now, I mentioned earlier that the angel said he'll tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. So Peter goes over to his house. Peter begins preaching. And he barely, I mean, he barely gets to the part where he talks about what Jesus has done. And as he's talking about it, the Holy Spirit, they believe, and instantly, the Bible says the Holy Spirit falls on them. As soon as they believe, they hear the words, they believe those words, bam, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They, they receive once they understand the promise about salvation. He's given to us exceeding great and precious promises. David calls them benefits, a few of them. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. I'm here glad for that. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I mean, those are promises. Those are promises, but they've got to be believed. And, and so often what happens with us, we're just passive. I, I would kind of say it like this. We believe in something, but not for it. So we believe it's true, but we're kind of like, well, Lord, if it's your will, let it happen. We sit around like we think like, you know, ripe cherries are going to fall on us. Like, God, you know. The raindrops of blessing are just going to kind of find me and fall on me. And we just sit back passively. But there is no such thing as a passive faith. Faith is always active. Faith is believing. So often people just have mental assent. They say, yeah, it's true. But they're not believing it. It's not changing the way that they live. Second Timothy 2.26 says this that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Now, if you are doing Satan's will, I'm going to tell you something about your will. It's passive. You're doing his will. There's no resistance in you. When something comes up, uh, in, in, like this, if w the first time a sin shows up, there's something in you like, no. But you know, if you give in, the next time there's, there's less no. And the next time there's less no. And then there's less and there's less and there's less until it gets to the point where you become passive. At that point, the Bible says you've been taken captive. You have been taken captive because your will is no longer active. You're just sitting back and whatever suggestion the enemy comes up with, see, you, you give in to it. But what the word of God will do is it will activate your will. It will activate your will again. So, so people, I, people will come and say, you know, uh, this, is, this is my situation. Uh, will you pray with me? Will you agree with me? And I typically ask this question. I say, what scripture or what verse are you believing? And the most common answer is this. None in particular. So I say to them, 
that's what you're going to receive. Nothing in particular. Because God does chapter and verse. In the book of Mark, it says he confirms the word with signs following. He confirms the word. So if we're not believing the word, confessing the word, praying the word, if we're not standing on the word, because God's going to do the word. He's not going to do what you feel. He's not going to do what you think. He's not going to follow your emotions or mine. He's going to do chapter and verse. The Bible says in Psalms 138 that he has magnified his word above all his name. In Jeremiah, he said, I'm watching over my word to perform it. So we've got to find that word and believe that word. Spend time in that word and let it come alive on the inside of us. That's why it says in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Now, meditation is a word that we don't, we, well, we, we use it, but we're, we're kind of, I would say we have a, a, a worldly perspective of meditation. We think about somebody, you know, crossing their legs and folding their arms and going, hum, you know, they're meditating. And that is Eastern meditation, but it's not Bible meditation. In Eastern meditation, the goal is to empty yourself of all thoughts and all desires. That is not Bible meditation. In Bible meditation, you fill yourself with God's word and his desires. See, Jesus said, what things ever you desire when you pray. When you pray, you better have something you're desiring. And it needs to be something that's in his word. Because he's, he's, he's going to watch over his word and perform it. He has magnified his word above his name. So we meditate on that word. We fill ourselves with it. You could really say that worry is meditation. But it's just meditating on the wrong thing. And most of us know how to worry real well. We're just constantly thinking about, well, this could happen, and this could happen, and that could happen, and what about this, and then they have to do this. And that's meditating, but it's meditating in reverse. What God wants us to do is find his word, right, and then speak that word. Philemon 1.6, that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. You know, there's 131 verses just in the New Testament that talk about who you are in him, in Christ, and in whom. 131 of them. See, the Bible says we need to acknowledge who we are in Christ. I, I, I plan to do a, a, a message on this sometime, but in the Bible, there's really four kinds of confession. Right? And the two that, that uh, I would mention tonight, just mention, there's a confession unto faith, and there's a confession of faith. See, you can get that word, you find that promise, and you confess it. And you say, yeah, but I don't believe it yet. That's all right. Just start, keep, keep confessing it. Keep confessing it, and keep confessing it, and keep meditating on it, and confessing it. You see, part of the word meditation means to mutter and to speak. So you just begin to speak that word. And as you keep on speaking it, it comes alive on the inside of you. And you begin to see that thing on the inside. You begin to see, yes, that's what's going to happen to me. Yes, that's who I am in Christ. Yes, I have that authority. Yes, that belongs to me. See, and you confess, but you say, but I don't believe it. Yeah, but you're going to get there. You keep, do you keep meditating on it? You're going to get there. So there's a confession unto faith 
and there is a confession of faith. Once you get there, you're confessing it because you believe it. But you need to confess it before you believe it. Because if you don't believe it, it's still true if it's in here. And as you confess it, you meditate on it, you think about it, and it becomes alive on the inside of you. Right now, I'm rereading a book I read years ago by Dodie Osteen called Healed of Cancer. I think it was in 1991 when she was diagnosed with terminal liver cancer and just sent home with like a week to live. There was just nothing they could do for her. And she talks about how she began to quote different verses, like Matthew 8, that says, he himself bore our sicknesses and carries our diseases, and by his stripes, healing belongs to us. She said, I would quote that. She said, but in the beginning, it was like what I'd hear was, you are going to die. You have terminal cancer, and there is no hope for you. And the verse would like, by his stripes, you were healed. <laughs> See, the, 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 the voice of the cancer, the voice of the doctor, the voice of the world was so loud. She said, but I just kept on confessing. And I just kept on confessing and kept on confessing and kept on confessing. Now, you realize it's been like 29 years. 29 years. But she said, after a while, it was like the word of God was like, by his stripes, healing is yours. You were healed. And the doctor's report was, you're going to die. <laughs> See, it changed. It grew on the inside of her. But it grew because she meditated on it. She'd speak it. She'd see that happening on the inside of her. That's when God's word becomes so real. It says here we need to acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ. The, the reason so many people's faith is so weak is they never say who they are in Christ. They're listening to who the world says they are instead of who God says they are. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creature. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And listen, you are new. You are so new, you need God to introduce you to yourself. And the way God introduces you to yourself is in the word of God. That's where he shows you, this is who I made you to be. This is what belongs to you. You're in union with Christ. You're a joint heir with Christ. And this is what is yours. That through these, we may become partakers of the divine nature. Uh, you don't get what you don't know. And I said it, you don't get what you're ashamed of. We need to begin to speak out who God says that we are. Now, it's interesting that this is exactly what Jesus did. He comes to Nazareth, his hometown. This is Luke 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it's written. If you don't have that underlined in your Bible, you should. He found the place where it's written. See, sometimes you need to get in your Bible because the Bible really consists of two different parts. There is the logos, which is all of God's word. But then there's the rhema. And the rhema is the word that's true about you, that's alive on the inside of you. Right? 
A logos can become a rhema. As you meditate on it, as you, as you confess that word and meditate on it, it can become a rhema word. But he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty of captives, the recovery of sight to blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and free favor of God perversely, profusely abound. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue was fixed on him. And he began to say today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying today, this scripture is true about me. See, and you and I need to do that. We need to find where it's written. And we need to find the scripture that covers our case. And we need to say, today, this verse, this scripture is true about me. I believe it's true. I believe it's true. Now, I wanted to close tonight where it says, he said that this is the time when the free favor of God profusely abounds. One of the promises of God is favor. It says in the book of Psalms that he will surround you with favor like a shield. And a lot of people don't really even know what it means. The world's system is the do a favor system. I do something for you, you do something for me. That's the world's system. But God's system is totally different. It's a favor system. Favor and grace are very related words. So favor and grace is not what you deserve. It's what you don't deserve. Okay. In a definition is the friendly disposition from which kindly acts proceed to assist, to provide with special advantages, to receive preferential treatment. Think about it. To receive preferential treatment and to receive special advantages. Now you say, why would that happen to me? Well, there's really, there's two reasons. If you are the daughter or son of Bill and Melinda Gates, how many of you know you've got a few advantages going for you? <laughs> right? Well, you're the son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But God actually says in his word that this is the time when his favor profusely abounds. He wants to do special things for you. Now, let me give you an example of this. Joseph had God's favor on him. He sold as a slave and almost immediately he rises up in Potiphar's house and he's in charge of the whole place. He gets lied about, thrown into prison and he rises up because of favor. And he ends up, the Bible says anything that was done in that prison, he was the doer of it. Pharaoh has a dream. No one can interpret the dream. Somebody says that Joseph guy, he knows how to interpret dreams. So he goes to Pharaoh he gives him the, tells him the interpretation of the dream, tells him what he should do. In a matter of 24 hours, he leaves the dungeon and is promoted to prime minister. Now, see, that's, a good, that's a good day. Now listen, listen. The Bible says God gave him two things. The book of Acts says God gave him wisdom and favor. See, one day of favor can do more than a thousand days of labor. And it, there, there were people who wanted the position of prime minister and they thought they had it coming. They'd been working at it for years. But one day of favor 
and Joseph had it. It was better than a thousand days of labor. Ruth, the Moabitess, there's a, there's a very small little chapter in your Bible. It's a chapter, a little book, four little chapters. You can read it in less than 10 minutes. And uh, she is the daughter-in-law of a woman named Naomi. Naomi's husband, her sons have died. She comes back from the land of Moab and uh, she comes to Bethlehem and the people come and see her. And, and she says, call me Mara, call me bitter because God has just really, really dealt poorly with me. Well, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the next day they, they're in town and she says, uh, she says, please let me go and glean in the field of someone in whose eyes I find favor. So before she leaves for work, this is what she says. She says, I'm going to have favor with my boss. Most people talk about their boss before they go to work. <laughs> they have all kinds of things to say about their boss, but they're not confessing they're going to have favor. So the Bible says she's going down the road and she happens, happens into the part of the field that belongs to Boaz. Now listen, the lowest level of favor appears to be a happenstance. It's not, but it appears to be. It appears that she just happened into that field. But before the morning was done, the owner of that field said, put handfuls on purpose in front of her. The second level of favor is like handfuls. In a matter of a, of a, a few weeks, the Bible says that he takes her shawl and loads it full of grain. We figured it out. It's 105 pounds. And I don't know how big she was, but I know my wife would have a hard time handling 105 pounds. In other words, it was all she could possibly handle. The favor is growing. The favor is growing. And you read the story and she keeps on talking about favor. She says, oh, why have I found favor? And oh, thank you for the favor. Why have I found favor? She's just talking about it all the time. And then as the harvest is done, she marries the guy and she owns the field and the house and half of the town. Listen, the Bible says about Jesus, it says very little about Jesus until he was 12, from the time he's 12 to the time that he's 30. But this is what it says. It says he grew in stature and in favor with God and with man. He grew in stature and he grew in favor. Favor is so, so important in our lives. Favor will open a door that would never open to you any other way. But we've got to understand favor. We've got to confess faith. We've got to do what Ruth did. We've got to confess favor. And the Bible says God will surround you with favor like a shield. Jesus said this is the time when God wants to profusely distribute favor to his people. This is the time right now. But many of us never never think about it, never meditate on it, never confess it. What we don't understand, what we don't know, what we don't confess, what we don't believe for. You see, you, you, again, I can say it again. You believe it's true, but are you believing for it? So often we understand something mentally, we assent that it's true, but our faith is not there. Our faith is not there. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We need to believe God's word. And when we take his word, we meditate on it and it gets down on the inside of us. It changes the way we think. And when it changes the way you think, 
It'll change the way you live, and it will change what you receive from God. So would you bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.